Jesus once asked some fishermen to leave their nets and follow him. This meant they had to change their identity and their focus. They had to learn the ways of a new work, to connect their hearts to a new mission, to build new relationships, to give their time and resources, and allow a new character to be built within them. We may not be fishermen, but Jesus still calls us to and disciples us in a new life. So, will you leave your net when Jesus asks you? Hey, good morning, Harbor Covenant. Uh, if I have not met you yet, my name is Jonathan. I'm the new student pastor here on South, and I am so excited to be with you guys this morning as we continue on through our series. So if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, then you know we've been going through this series called Leave Your Nets. And this whole series has been around discipleship and what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to live and to act more like Jesus. How do we do it? What is needed? What's a part of that equation so that we can be better Christ followers? And today we're going to continue that conversation. But before we do, I want to share with you guys um, a couple of very proud moments in my life. Um, there are moments maybe I should be proud of, maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. It's kind of up in the air. They're not probably the best thing, but there's stuff that I, I love that I've accomplished. And so the first one is this. When I was in college, I used to have this saying in this phrase um, that if you really think about it, everything is a 50-50 possibility. And I kind of lived by this motto that I had. And so people would be talking about stuff and I would just slowly start to insert this in conversations. I'm like, oh no, it's like, it's a 50-50. Like, is it going to rain today? Either it does or it doesn't. It's a 50-50. Like we don't have to worry too much about things. Everything's a 50-50. And there's a couple people in my life, um, Mackenzie, my wife, and a friend of mine, Andrew, who just hated this phrase that I used. And I would bring it up all the time and they would look at me with just like anger in their hearts and just be like, that's not how math works, Jonathan. And I would always respond the same way, like, no, but like, if you really think about it, everything's a 50-50. And they'd be like, no, that's like not, that's not a thing. And I'd be like, no, 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 but like, you have to really think about it. And they'd be like, that's just not it. And I was like, no, 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 you haven't really thought about it yet. You gotta really think about it. And then you realize everything's a 50-50. And one day, Andrew and I lived together in college and he brings a guy home and we're just chatting, like he's a friend over having like lunch or something. And we're talking, I introduced myself. We had never met yet. I was like, hey, I'm Jonathan. Like, nice to meet you. Welcome to our home. And he looks at me and like this realization hit. And he asked me, he's like, hey, are you, are you the 50-50 guy? And I was like, yes. I was like, I am. That is my thing. I want to be known for that. And it was one of the greatest moments of having a complete stranger, somebody I had never met before, look at me and be like, I know you, you're the 50-50 guy, I've heard about you. And I was like, this is one of the greatest days of my life. I just want people to now know me forever as the 50-50 guy. So that was one of the moments I'm very proud of. The second moment is uh, happened back in high school. And let me just start off. If you are a family, if you are a parent watching and your student comes to our youth group, I need to be very clear, this is not what I tell students to do. This is not stuff I encourage them to do. This is more of just a reality of past Jonathan, um, who just struggled a little bit in high school. Um, but the thing you need to know about past Jonathan was he was a sleeper. Um, it was very hard for me to stay focused in a class that was 
after lunch, which means I've already had like majority of my day in school, I've now had lunch, I'm in a food coma, and then you ask me to go to a history class. And everything about that was not a recipe for success. And so I fell asleep a lot. And my next, the guy who sat next to me, he also fell asleep a lot. And so we would like help each other fall asleep. And I remember one day I got the first half of class, he got the second half of class for this day for sleeping. And I was asleep and apparently in the middle of me sleeping, I'm like head down on the desk, passed out. I, with my eyes still very much closed, I sit straight up, I straighten my back, I take my book, I open it and I put it in my lap and I try to look down as if I'm reading my book as our teacher's talking in my sleep. I have no memory of doing this, but the guy who sat next to me thought it was the funniest thing. So he'd always tell me this story. So fast forward a couple years, I'm working in our youth ministry and I, I meet a student and he's in the same school at the same period in the same class with the same teacher that I had when I was a senior. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I had the same class, we're kind of talking about it. And I was like, man, like you should, you should see if he remembers me. Because in my head, I'm like, I doubt teachers remember anybody after a semester. Like, there's just no way. There's too many names, faces. They're not going to remember anybody. But like, how funny would it be if they did, right? And so he comes back to me a week later. And I was like, hey, did you ask like Mr. Bliss? Like, did you remember me? He's like, oh, yeah, he remembered you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what did he say? And apparently, this is like word for what he said. He's like, yeah, I went to him. And I was like, hey, do you remember uh, somebody who graduated a couple years ago named Jonathan Montejano? And, and he kind of stopped and thought about it. And then his response was, oh, you mean that short kid that slept in the corner all year? And I was like, yes, that was me. I was the short kid that slept in the corner the whole year. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. Like this guy has had like hundreds, maybe thousands of like students. like come through his class, through his fifth period history. And he remembers me as the short kid that slept in the corner all year. And I just thought it was the funniest thing. But there are all, all of us have these moments of things that we identify with, things that we are known by, things that we, uh, the world sees us as. And a lot of these things are really incredible. Like God has made us each uniquely. Like we are fearfully and wonderfully made to be unique. And so there should be unique factors about each of us. It's what makes the church so beautiful and diverse is all these differences. And, and this is super important. However, if we look at faith always through this sense of individuality, always through this sense of who I am, who I want to be, how the, the scriptures, the passages apply to me, then we miss something really important. And that is this sense of communal identity, of what does it mean to commit to a community? What does it mean that we are the followers of Christ? We are his people. We are the body. Who is us as Harbor Covenant Church? And when we start to look and see faith as a committed community with a communal identity, then this incredible aspect of discipleship begins to happen. And this is something that we all do. This isn't unique to the church. We identify by the sports teams that we watch. We identify by the parties that we vote in. We identify by what state we live in, what schools we go to, who we support, the things or the shows that we watch. There are all of these ways in which we connect with other people through a communal identity. And the same is true for the church. And the same needs to be true for faith. And so the questions I want to talk about today is, hey, what is the importance, what is the power, the potential of having a communal identity, but also how does that affect us as Harbor Covenant today, and how does that affect Gig Harbor? So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're watching this and you're like, man, I have no idea where 1 Peter chapter 2 is, that is totally okay. It is in the very, like, end of the Bible. So if you open up to the very back, the last book of the Bible, you're going to see is Revelation, you go a little bit more, you'll find John. Um, there's three of them. I don't know why, but there's one, 
1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then there's the Peter book. So there's 1st and 2nd. Those are going to be in 1st Peter. And let me just give us a little bit of context of what we're diving into. In the Protestant Bible, there are 66 books with over 40 authors, right? And each one wrote an individual book and all these different passages. And out of those 66 books, only six of them are written to individuals. Luke and Acts, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus and Philemon are the only six books in the entire Bible that's written to the individuals. Every other book is written to communities. It is written to people groups. It is written to churches. And so as we listen to this passage and as we talk about this importance, the questions we need to be asking is, how does this affect us as Harbor Covenant? How does this affect us together? Who do we become after reading this? And then we can ask the questions, hey, what does this mean for me and myself? And how do I embody these a little bit more? But we need to start off with asking, what does this mean for us? Because it's exactly what the original readers and the original authors were intending. And so Peter, he is writing these letters, and these letters are circulating through a couple different churches in Asia Minor, and they're all written mainly to Jewish Christians, right? People who are, are part of the Jewish faith, who have come to know Jesus as the Messiah, but they are part of this thing called the dispersia, where there was this huge level of persecution, and so all the followers needed to leave Jerusalem, and they needed to leave Israel because the persecution had gotten so bad. And so these people are disconnected from their homeland. They're disconnected from their community. They're disconnected from their people. And that's where Peter is diving into. And that is what Peter is talking about. And so in chapter first, or sorry, in first Peter chapter two, Peter says this in verse nine, but he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's Peter. He's writing to these churches, and he is giving them a sense of communal identity. All these different churches are being described in the same way, and they're describing us today as well. And there's three really important things that Peter describes his people as, or the people as. The first is he calls them a chosen race. And what he's referring to here is that the Israelites, for the majority of the time, have been God's chosen people. God's designated people to be his representatives to the world. And ever since Jesus came into the picture, and ever since Jesus died for the sake of the world, Gentiles, you and me, us, have been added into this race of chosen people who are being brought in to this, this privilege of being God's representative to the world, and which is absolutely mind-blowing. To me, it feels a lot of like when you get your driver's license for the first time. No, no, stick with me. So you get your driver's license, and at first you're like, wow, this is awesome. Like, I'm driving. I have all this freedom. Here is a, a privilege that I have never had before up until now. And maybe you were like me, and when you were learning how to drive, my dad, it would take him at most— I would say it took him three minutes from the moment I sat down to say his classic phrase, which was, all right, Jonathan, you are driving a weapon right now. One mistake and somebody could die. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks, Dad. I feel safe and encouraged and really excited for all these fun opportunities in the car. Um, so now I'm 16, 17. I have my license. I'm driving alone for the first time. And I'm like, this is great. And then I'm like, oh, my God, anybody could die. Like, is the world ready for this? Is this a safe thing for anybody to be doing? And it's kind of terrifying at first when you start driving on your own. And I think that's what a lot of these original Gentiles were feeling. Hey, like we're, we're part of God's chosen people. We've made it. We've been welcomed into this new family. 
And then it dawns on them of, I'm the representative of God to the people around me. Like, what if I do a bad job? What if I misrepresent God in a, in a bad way? What if I don't portray his love and his power and his majesty as I know he should be? What if people don't hear the gospel and what Jesus did for them in the reality of what happened? And it becomes terrifying of like, man, am I representing God well? And then as you drive, you kind of get more comfortable and you get a feel for it and, and driving becomes less scary and I think it's the same here for us too when we are living in a communal identity and we realize, hey, I am a part of a chosen race. Like I'm a part of God's representation here on earth. It becomes easier and it becomes more fluid because we realize, hey, I'm not doing this alone. And when we live in that mindset of we are chosen to represent God, then we live and act more like Jesus. The second thing that Peter describes his readers as, he calls them a royal priesthood. Now, the priest is this beautiful part of Jewish history and literature where the priests, basically their job was to be an intercessor. They would go and they would intercede for the sake of the Israelite people to God and they would go before God and they would pray and they would sacrifice and they would atone for the sins of the Israelites because they, their job was to intercede so that the Israelites could be in right standing with God. And if you've maybe been around the church for a little bit, there's this language that we use a lot where we describe Jesus as our new high priest. Ever since he died on the cross, he has been the one interceding for us. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he pleads our case and he brings us in right standing with God. So if Jesus is our high priest, then then what is our priesthood? What does that mean that we are a royal priesthood? And I think what Peter is getting at is that we are now the intercessors for the city and the people around us. Like we have this responsibility, we have this duty that we get to stand before God as a unified community to pray and to worship and to intercede for the city around us. Like if we love Gig Harbor and we want to see Gig Harbor transformed by the power of Jesus, then it is our responsibility together to intercede on the behalf of Gig Harbor. What would it look like if we united as a community around that? Not alone, not just one person trying to make a change, but if there was a community of us interceding and praying and loving Gig Harbor, that would be powerful. The last thing that Peter describes his readers as is a holy nation. And what he's referencing here is this promise that God made with Abraham all the way back in Genesis. In the very first book of the Bible, God makes a problem, a promise with a man named Abraham, and he says, hey, I'm going to make this great nation out of you. And this nation is going to bless all other nations. And Peter is reminding us as believers that this is our calling, that we get this power to be a separate nation that blesses all other nations around us. Like our, our national anthem is the Lord's Prayer. Like our, our national flag is the cross. And because of that, we then get to go ahead and bless the people, bless the cities, bless the state, bless the countries around us for the sake of Jesus. This is what it means to live into this communal mindset. When we are coming together and saying it is about us impacting the city for the goodness of Jesus, then we start to live and we start to act more like Jesus. We start to have this sense of community. So then the question has to come with, okay, like, what is the purpose of Peter describing us this way? Like, what, what is the bottom line? What is, what is he really trying to get at 
in this moment. And this is, he actually says it beautifully in verses, end of verse 9 and verse 10, because he says this. He says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were a people, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Like, this is it. Like, we live into this community. We commit to the people around us. We commit to a communal identity and live into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation so that we can declare the excellencies of God the Father who brought us out of darkness into light. Like, when we commit to each other and in this community, the light of Jesus shines that much brighter because it's never been about an individual. Like, faith was never intended or made or created to be done by yourself. It was always meant to be communal. And here we have that when we live into this communal identity, then we declare the excellencies of how the love of God changes, of how the power of God moves mountains, about how the grace of God breaks chains. And then he adds, and then you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Like, this is a place where then belonging happens, where the people who have been set aside, who have been outcasted, who have been betrayed, who have been ignored, who have been forgotten, and they feel like they have no purpose or no place, this community, the people of Harbor Covenant, get to be a people of belonging, where the people just get to come in. Then it said, you are people who had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a group full of mercy, a place where people who have thought they have gone too far, who are no longer deserving of forgiveness, who don't think they can be close to people because of the mistakes that they have made, all gets washed away because we are a people of mercy. And when we live into these values, when we live into being a light, when we live into being a place of belonging and a people of mercy, then we live into who Jesus is. And we start to act like Jesus more, and we start to think like Jesus more, and we start to feel and be like Jesus more. This is the power of a communal identity and discipleship. It all connects, and it's all about this. And so my questions, my, my thoughts for us then are, what's next? And for some of you, maybe, maybe you're not committed to Harbor Covenant. Maybe this is a community that you're just kind of showing up, you've checked out for a little bit, you don't really know if this is a place where you can commit to, and that is totally okay. But if you're on the fence and you're curious about it, can I invite you just one last time to our annual meeting tonight? Like, come and see what has Harbor Covenant Church done in the city of Gig Harbor last year. Like, what work have we done over the past 12 months, and what work are we striving for in the next 12 months? Come be a part of this, hear and listen and see the stories of this church, and that this is a place that you can commit to. Or maybe right now, like, the Spirit's stirring in you, and you're like, man, I've, I've experienced community, I've experienced the power of a communal identity, and I want to help create that then maybe it's time to lead a small group. What would it look to, like to reach out to Angela or to Blake, members on our staff who oversee our small groups and say, hey, I want to lead one. I want to create community for the people around me. Or maybe it's just time to commit to a small group. Like I know they're, they're busy and they take time and they take energy and sometimes they even take money to be a part of a committed community. But what would it look like to make that commitment to be in a community of believers to commit to people, to have this sense of communal identity. Because again, I can't, I can't stop thinking of what this place, what Harbor Covenant would be like if it was just known throughout the city of Gig Harbor. Like anytime they saw our signs for our preschool, they saw our stickers, anytime they just saw us walking around downtown, like man, those people are part of Harbor Covenant Church 
And I know that place as a place of belonging, a place of light, and a place of mercy. Like, what if these were the things that the city knew about us? How inviting would that be? How powerful would that be? Because we're like, man, it's not about the individuals. It's not just one person who's really great and everybody else is, they don't know what they're doing. It's, no, we as a community live into being a light, being a place of belonging, and being people of mercy. So here are the three questions I want you guys to think on. And this first question is going to be my only individual question for you. And it's simple as this. Is Harbor Covenant a place you feel committed to? Because depending on how you answer this one, it's going to change how you answer the other ones. But is this a place that you feel committed to? Question two, how can we embody the identity of being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation? How do we make that just a part of our DNA, our fabric as a community? And then my third and last question is, what is one way your small group could serve Gig Harbor this week? Like, what is one thing you could do as a small group to go out this week and say, hey, Gig Harbor, we are a place of belonging, of mercy and light. Here's who we are. Let us serve. So go ahead and take a few minutes to think on this, and then I'll close this in prayer. God, thank you that you have called us into community, Lord, that you don't desire us to be alone, but you want us to be known and, be, and find belonging and find mercy here in your presence of your church and of your body. I ask, Holy Spirit, that we would see you, that we would know you, and that because of this community, that Gig Harbor would know you more. The power that you have would just emanate and flow from us as we intercede for this city. Jesus, we thank you. And Lord, we love you. I pray at the end of this time that we would be more in love with you than when we woke up this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.